Hello and welcome to Map Bites, episode 128. I'm Elaine Charles and I'm here with my co-host Mike Thomas. In this episode, the Covid Cat Collective proved tricky for the track and trace turkeys. Try saying that when you've had a couple of drinks. Can I start with a rant? If you like. There was a video entitled, Introducing iPhone 12 Trailer from Apple. Or, How a lie got halfway round the world before the truth pulled his boots on. It was a video on YouTube from Concepts iPhone. Fair enough, you might think. Um, A 3D rendering app and enough time to waste equals yet another concept video. But to title it iPhone 12 Introductory Trailer from Apple, that's a bit much. It implies it's from Apple. And as you and I know, muggles are easily led. It was 10 minutes long. How do I know that? Bored myself rigid watching it so you don't have to. Trust me, move along, nothing to see. All very pretty, but it's a concept. It's not real. And people were discussing it like it was real. You know, like, can't wait to get my hands on it. It looks amazing. It's not real. Just saying. But worse still, Apple sites were reporting it as if it were an official announcement. I give up. I really do. I watched it. I thought, well, I know you said that if you watched it, then I don't have to. But I thought it wouldn't be fair if I didn't. So I did. Oh, oh, oh. (laughs) FOMO much. (laughs) Yeah, I wasted 10 minutes of my life watching it. Mm. It looked like a bunch of iPhones 11 to me. And it was about 9 minutes, 50 seconds too long. Uh, that's, That's my considered opinion. Plus, if Apple sites are reporting it as an official announcement, you know what? That is just lazy journalism. Oh, couldn't have put it better myself. I do use the term lazy and journalism together frequently. I know you do. I'm Uh, I'm stealing your phrase. You are, actually. Hang on, hang on. There should be some royalties involved. Now, following on from last week's state-sponsored stalking, I said no good would come of it, and it didn't. They'd set tracking centres up. I'd ask why they're not working from home, but I digress. I'll admit they've come up with a genius way to increase their success rate. Tracking outbreaks in the contact tracking centre. Yes, there was an outbreak in the centre. Filed under, you couldn't make this stuff up. After weeks of not being able to find their own illuminated backside with a sat-nav, they've resorted to tracking and tracing each other. No reports on whether this is proving to be more fruitful than tracking and tracing the rest of us, all of which pales into insignificance when compared to the other news announced. The entire track and trace mess has actually been illegal since it started which I did say on an episode of Marooned at MacBytes headquarters back about the time the track and trace thing was launched. Even I didn't realise just how bad the whole situation now is, though. Quote, the government has admitted its contact tracing programme is unlawful in a legal letter which confirms it's been running in breach of data protection laws since it was launched in May. The government did not conduct a data privacy impact assessment. This is a thing, apparently, a DPIA. 
the NHS Track and Trace is committed to the highest ethical and data governance standards, collecting, using and retaining data to fight the virus and save lives, while taking full account of all relevant legal obligations, they said. No mention was made when prompted as to whether a report in the Sunday Times which said that the track and trace workers were sharing patients' confidential data on social media sites was evidence of data being used unlawfully. Just one minute there. And I quote again. Sharing patients' confidential data on social media sites. On what planet is that acceptable? There are so many vulnerable people out there. I mean, the one that always springs to mind is abusive ex-partners, where you move, you change your name, you don't want them to find you. But it's all right. The government are putting out your personal details on social media. But there's so many more reasons not to want your details on social media. Internal communications state that this social media sharing shouldn't be done. Patient identifiable information must never be posted on social media, they said. Too late once it's been done, though, isn't it? But fear not, they have a solution. Any examples which come to light will be dealt with through the appropriate employment processes. Too late by then, you muppets! But there was Jim Killock. Have you ever heard of this organisation? Org. No, never. O-R-G. Never. Org. No, me neither. But Jim Killock, who is the executive director of Org, it's a dodgy name, that, described the government as reckless in ignoring a vital and legally required safety step. A crucial element in the fight against the pandemic is mutual trust. <laughs> Sorry, <clears throat> the laughing's me. Between the public and the government, which is undermined by their operating the programme without basic privacy safeguards. The Information Commissioner's Office and Parliament must ensure that test and trace is operating safely and lawfully, he said. As we have already seen individual contractors sharing patient data on social media platforms, emergency remedial steps will need to be taken, he added. Really? Sacking people who do that isn't enough. Public flogging isn't enough in my mind. There are just no words. And as if all of that wasn't bad enough, we now have news of the first cat infected in the UK. So if you see any social media posts asking Tiddles to get in touch with the track and trace Muppets, you now know why. But if they can't find a human with an address, a phone number, a national insurance number, a birth certificate, a driving licence, a passport, oh, and an NHS record, I don't rate their chances with a collective of COVID-infected cats. Meow. <laughs> Do you know what might work? What? Oh, I've had a genius idea. Go on. Putting the collective of COVID-infected cats in charge of the track and trace. That would work. Cheaper. I'm bound to be more effective because, honestly, it couldn't be worse. It's a bit of a rant week, isn't it? Definitely. Oh, talking of which, you'll notice this show, week after the last one. Something's clearly happened at MacBytes headquarters, hasn't it? In the productivity department. Uh, either that or getting no sleep at all. Mm, yes, um, something else for me to rant about. Amazon have confirmed Prime Day won't be happening in the same time frame as usual. Hmm. 
that doesn't please me. I like Prime Day. We need a bigger porch on Prime Day, don't we? <laughs> we do. I've got pictures of last Prime Day. Oh, it was stuck to the light in the porch. Mm. I didn't realise that was Prime Day. I just thought that was a normal delivery day. You carry on thinking that. That that, that saves me a lot of explanation. <laughs> Meow again. You haven't got COVID, have you? <laughs> you do know why that was the only cat that, two have, that they've said had COVID in the UK. No, go on. They're not testing cats and dogs. Just saying. But if they were, how many would be infected? I'd be fabulous at this track and trace. Oh, absolutely fabulous. Anyway, I digress. Um, I'm talking about Prime Day because I'm very upset. I like Prime Day. I guess it's more of an acknowledgement of the impact of COVID-19 than Apple demonstrated back in March when they released two new iPad Pros with no regard whatsoever to the world situation. Do you remember I said it felt really icky? I do. It was the first week of official lockdown in the UK and there's Apple with, we've got new toys! Um, And the rest of us are like, not spending any money, not right now! But Apple clearly didn't care. Anyway, Prime Day um, in India is happening on the 6th and 7th of August. I can't understand the logic of that if we're not getting one. But for the rest of us, it won't be until after the 5th of October at the earliest. Hmm. Confirmation of that date was given in a leaked email sent to the third party sellers. So credit cards all over the country can breathe easy, at least until October. October gets them out of. Well, actually, if it's October, they might as well leave it till November and then it'll just roll into Black Friday. Good thinking. Yes, I'm full of that. Hmm. Oh, then there was the G Suite debacle, wasn't there? Another rant. It was a concept video that I wish was going to stay just a concept. From Google. I'll add the link to the show notes, but to be honest, don't bother. It's it's another one like that. Seriously, don't bother. It's 15 minutes of your life you won't ever get back. It's a load of waffle about being productive when working remotely. Yes, like I've done since 1994. Google have finally caught on. And I quote, With an accelerated shift to remote working brought on by COVID-19, it's clearer than ever that an organisation's success relies on its people and how they work. Blah, blah, blah. And so it went on for 15 minutes. But there is a little tiny bit in it that actually gives you an idea of what changes they are making. But it's it's just so sickly. I won't quote the rest of it, but oh, dear, 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 dear. Now, just like Apple finally adding the ability to present to a window, we'll ignore for the moment how dire the implementation of that actually was. But just like Apple, Google are beginning to twig that not everyone works the way Google think they do. Sadly, their response has been to roll out their vision for your future workspace. Nobody asked me. Did anybody ask you? Nobody asked me. So basically, they're just guessing. Believe you me, this is one unholy mess. Let me summarise for you. Five Google apps shoehorned into Gmail. Now, they've added a bar at the lower edge of the window that takes up far too much space for the features that I will never use, all of which have their own apps. Do you remember when they had one app and then they split it and they said that was the best way to work? Now they're rolling them all back into one again and you will use their apps. So, for instance, I don't use Google Meet. It's like chatting with Norman Collier in a time warp. 
You might need to explain that one for the younger listeners. Oh, he was a 70s comedian whose party piece was a monologue with a faulty microphone. It was absolutely hilarious. Do you remember he also did a great chicken routine? You know, I don't remember that one until you showed it to me. (laughs) Yeah, don't go Googling Norman Collier. No. (laughs) On YouTube. Some of his stuff is a little dated and that's putting it kindly but use the link i'll put in the show notes because i did see a lovely interview with him and that one's safe for work so i'll put that in but the chicken routine yep lola would like that one anyway back to the features functions and apps that google think i want to use that i can categorically assure you i don't it's um chat which you know there's slack for that and iMessage and whatsapp and doubtless a million more Then there was tasks. Only one person in last week's MacBytes After Hours could even recognise the icon for that one. So um, not exactly mass adoption, I would say. Now, it might be a fabulous move for Google, but don't try and sell it as a benefit to the rest of us because we can't even identify what apps you've already got, much less that we actually use them because we don't. What is streamlined to Google is that all their apps are integrated. It's nothing but a mess for those that don't use them, complete opposite to streamlining. Unused icons are an unneeded distraction in one app that I do use. There's luckily only one icon has appeared for me, which is the chat one. I glowered at it for a while before heading off to the settings to turn it off. Hmm, not an option, apparently. So... I decided to ignore it. Like that was ever going to work. It didn't. So back to the settings I went. Eventually, I found an option to turn it off. But it's not where you would imagine it, which is all of the interface options. You've got to drill down into each account and turn it off from there. So if you've got like five, six, ten accounts, (laughs) you'll be doing it ten times. How productive is that? Yet again, Mike, all together now, there are no words. There are no words. Well, I've titled this piece that I'm about to talk about using my Apple Watch in a post-Covid world, but there are no cats in this post-Covid world. Oh, did they all catch Covid? (laughs) Something like that. When the Apple Watch was released way back in 2015, I had zero interest in getting one. I guess I saw it as a watch, something that tells you what time it is. And up to that point, I'd actually not worn a watch for many years. I did have a cheap one. And when it broke, I relied on my phone and the clock on my computer to tell me what the time was. Plus, I think at the time I had an aversion to getting fit. And that was how Apple marketed the watch as a health and fitness tool. I used to walk several miles each day with Maya, but we'd lost him less than a year earlier, so I'd probably lost my impetus and desire for going to um, go for a walk each day. But when you got a new watch and offered me your old one, I thought I'd take it and see what all the fuss was about. So the question is, has the Apple Watch changed my life? Which is what my mother said when she got her iPhone. I told her it would change her life. She didn't believe me. She's said that several times, hasn't she? How how life-changing the iPhone has has, has become in her life. But, uh, but back to my watch. Has it made me fitter? It's probably made me more aware of my fitness. 
or lack of it. I do try and make sure that I complete my daily targets, you know, the calories burnt, the exercise minutes and the standing minutes, but I don't get too upset if I miss them. There's been a couple of times recently where I've walked out the house with Lola and I've forgotten to turn the watch on. I mean, the watch is on, but I've forgotten to turn the, the, the counter thing on. So I'm halfway through the walk and I've suddenly realised that it's not counted any minutes uh, or any steps. So, yeah, I might get a little bit peeved, but, uh, you know, so what? There's, there's bigger things in the world to worry about as to, to whether I've hit my targets on a walk or not. Um, but no, for me, the watch has got two uses, uh, notifications and payments. Now, having said that, I originally came up with the idea of doing a piece for the show about how I use my Apple Watch several months ago, and it never actually got done. At the time... <laughs> the show probably no, never got done, but move on quickly before they notice. I'm sure they'll never notice. At the time, I was using it pretty much every day to pay for things. Petrol, shopping, hot chocolate at the cafe at work. As I say... Really? Yes. All coming out now? Mm. As I say, we don't have much. a hot chocolate machine here. No, we don't. Good job, really. I've been never off it. No, 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 no. <laughs> What we do have in the kitchen is a tub of hot chocolate and a kettle, so it's just as good. So we're saving money on that as well. Yeah, you know, I don't have to put my Apple Watch against the kettle to pay for it either. <laughs> but as I say, pretty much everything I paid for with uh, with my watch. If the store took Apple Pay, I would use it. It was just so much easier than getting my wallet out out of my pocket and getting my card out. The only downside was that some places, and yes, Tesco, I'm looking at you, had a £30 limit for contactless. Now, obviously, I can see the reasoning behind that for you know, security and fraud and all that. But with the weekly food shop, the cost was the cost. I had no control over it. So if I'm trying to pay with, with the the weekly shopping with uh, with contactless, I could put back that bottle of red wine. I could put back that whatever, but more often than not, it wouldn't have reduced the bill to under thirty pounds anyway. So I might as well put that bottle of wine in and then uh, pay with um, not contactless the other the other one. Chip and pin. Put your card in and type in your number. That's the one. Chip and pin. So long since I've done it, I couldn't remember. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. By the time you've argued the toss with them over the limit on the contactless, you need two bottles of wine to get over the stress. This is true. This is true. But buying petrol was a different matter because I always tried to get it to £30 or less. But the price of petrol meant to fill a tank from empty took more than £30. So that was one issue. And even if I didn't fill from empty... Aiming for £30 is not easy. Have you ever tried that? Oh, many times. Aiming for the round pound. Maybe not 30 but for the round pound. There is a name for it. I can't remember, but a, a DJ came up with a name for it. On some petrol pumps, you can actually press a button and tell it what at what point you want it to stop. Like, I want £10 worth or £20 or 30 Maybe I should have tried that. But... That probably wouldn't have worked anyway from for what I'm about to say, because on several occasions I stopped filling and the pump showed £30, only to get to the cashier to be told £30 and a penny. 
Listeners, if that's happened to you, let us know. Or am I just sad? <laughs> to have happened to others, surely. I did some research on this, and yes, this does show how sad am I. And I found this on a forum. Just got time on your hands with the COVID thing. No, I did the research when I was actually filling up the car. <laughs> That's even worse. Because since COVID, I haven't had the need to go out and it's just to- <laughs> totally slow. That's true. I haven't bought petrol since late last year. No, nor hot chocolate. I don't drink hot chocolate, but okay. <laughs> so anyway, this, this is what I found. Sometimes the price advances when you close the nozzle and return it to storage. This can be caused by a hose by the hose swelling slightly, which allows a fractional amount of fuel to pass through the meter. Because of the high price in petrol, only a very small amount of fuel is needed for the price display to change by one penny. Therefore, this problem is much more prevalent now than it used to be. You thought this was a tech podcast, but we also provide useful public information. That's tech related. It is. If isn't you it? stop pressing the trigger, it should stop. <laughs> I I know that. Although I am sat here pondering now, a potential title for the show, but I should probably leave it alone. Swelling hoses. <laughs> no, walk away, girl. Walk away. <laughs> I I waited for you to interject when I talked about hoses swelling. Walk away. No, I was right. being very good. Walk away. Can you tell I've had no sleep? Yes. <laughs> it's all right. This natural exuberance is my normal state. This is this is kind of turning into a Matt Bites meets Marooned, isn't it? Carry on. I'll behave from now on. Right. I'll go and read a book or something while yeah. you finish. So, using the watch to pay for things right now is, for me, a thing of the past. The reason being COVID. So, what do I use the watch for, apart from telling the time and checking my health stats? Well, notifications is the answer. I must admit the number of times it buzzes with email notifications, Facebook notifications, LinkedIn notifications, etc. did drive me nuts. So much so that I've actually switched some of them off. But one app that I do have notifications enabled for is Goal Live. It alerts me when there's a goal in matches involving United. If you're a footy fan, download the app to your phone, configure it for the team or teams that you're interested in, and then every time there's a goal, either for your team or against your team, you get a notification. Which sounds great, but because I watch many of the games on my iPhone via Sky Sports, it has a delay of about 30 seconds on the feed. When there's a goal, the watch buzzes, And 30 seconds later, I see the goal being scored. So, what do I do when the watch buzzes and I'm watching the game? To look or not to look? Sometimes, I can't help myself. The watch buzzes. I look. Goal notification. It's an oh no or oh yes. (laughs) Does that remind you of something? Yes. Piccadilly Radio in the 80s. Yeah. Sometimes it buzzes and I'm on tender hooks. Which team scored the goal? I must be honest, though, in this post-COVID world, my watch is becoming less and less useful to me. Having said that, just as I finished making notes for this piece, I wondered where I'd put my phone. And yes, that's what makes the watch worthwhile. The find my phone feature. 
like mother, like son. I'm always putting my phone down and forgetting where I put it. Age is a terrible thing. So if you have an Apple Watch, what do you use it for? Write in. Let us know. You know when you mentioned how the notifications were annoying you? Yes. Not half as much as your notifications annoy me. <laughs> I knew you would say that. Yes. Well, I've, I don't get many notifications at all. In terms of what I've actually turned on, probably nothing. Thing, things do buzz every now and then. Uh, WhatsApp does, which I've left alone. I don't get that many WhatsApps that it actually bothers me. So I've left that one alone. The one that drives me insane is the news app because I never asked for them to be turned on. And I know I could turn them off, but you know when something's that bad that you're mesmerised by it? Yes. It's not that the, the Apple notifications themselves are bad. It's the fact of the stories that they think I'll be interested in. They just go from the sublime to the ridiculous. So I thought, I'll turn this off. And then another one came in and I decided what I would do for like a month was take screenshots of everything they thought was worth bothering me with. Because it's Apple that are saying, you know, we've got all these features to, so you can be productive. But I certainly didn't turn those notifications on. That's the default. They're, the stories are just horrendous or wholly inappropriate, which I would have thought Apple would know, that they would know enough about you. You know, like Facebook knows everything about you. Oh, yes. I would have thought Apple knew enough not to tell me about certain things. But I'll, I'll put them all together after a month and we'll see how bad they all are, because it does, it drives me mad. I was getting news notifications, but they seem to have stopped, which is good news. I don't remember turning them off, but maybe I did. Maybe they profiled you and, and think you're not interested in anything. I wish they'd profile me that way. But anyway, uh, you've had a technical challenge, haven't you? I did have a technical challenge, yes. Delivering iPad training. In theory, it should be simple. In practice, well, that's a different story. A few years ago, we were asked to add iPad training to our catalogue of courses at work. And at the time, I was the only one in the team with any experience of using an iPad in anger. So it fell at my door and I scheduled a couple of one hour sessions each month. Whilst doing my prep, I hit a technical issue. When I was in the office, I connected the laptop and the iPad to the network. I turned the screen mirroring on on the iPad and the iPad could see the laptop, but the mirroring wouldn't work. It turns out that AirServer needs certain ports open on the network. So I put in a request to have these ports opened and that was re rejected, not surprisingly, on security grounds. So I delivered the training from home where there are no network restrictions because I have a very good network manager, don't I? Excellent. But rather than use my work laptop, I decided to use my own iMac. Now, why would I use my own kit to deliver training for work? Well, I guess it was familiarity. I knew from a technical perspective that it worked. At the time, we were running the training using Skype for Business. So all I did was install that on my iMac so I could share my screen and away we went. Everything was hunky-dory. Everything worked. I've done quite a lot of iPad training, actually, in the last couple of months. iPads were given out to quite a few employees so that they could work from home during lockdown. And a couple of weeks ago, 
I responded as well to a post on Workplace, which is our company's internal social network, from someone in Australia where about 150 people wanted some iPad training. Now, as you know, at MacBytes headquarters, we have an office and a studio. And normally we both work in the office, but once I'd started working from home longer term during COVID, we made space in the studio for me to work in there during the day. Not that we don't get on and can't work in the same room, but there's only so many times that you can listen to me training nucleus, isn't there? Oh, yes. More than once is more than enough. For anyone who doesn't know what Nucleus is, it's uh, our company's internal um, intranet system. And I teach people how to create and edit content. And I've been doing it for about five years. But uh, like you say, once is enough. Because my iMac is in the office and not in the studio, rather than disturb you, I decided that I would deliver the training from the studio, as I've been doing since lockdown, as I say but using my work laptop and my work iPad. Plus, because we're now using Teams instead of Skype, I'd have to have installed Teams on my iMac, and the Teams client for the Mac isn't as good as the Teams client for Windows. Yes, I know that we've got an iMac in the studio, but I didn't want to install Teams on it in case it broke something. So, with the iPad and the laptop connected to our network, everything should have just worked. Yeah, famous last words. Oh, yes. I couldn't get the iPad to mirror to the laptop using AirServer. I'd actually never tried it before, so it wasn't a case of it was working and now it isn't. As I said, I'd always used my iMac to deliver the training from. At this point, I wasn't actually delivering the training, you'll be glad to know. I was testing to see if it worked. Because obviously, if I'm trying to deliver the training and I can't get the iPad to see the, the laptop, it's a bit late at that point. So I was in testing phase. So I posted to Workplace and received a response from someone that it was probably down to port blocking on the firewall on the laptop. So I'd got round the port blocking physically by delivering the training from home. This now was port blocking on the firewall on the laptop itself. They're just determined, aren't they, to stop me doing my job? They seem to be. Yeah. So I tried another method. I joined the Teams meeting from my iPad and shared my entire desktop to do this, what you do, you enable the iPad screen recorder in Control Center. And then when you tap Share Screen in Teams, the Record button pops up and tapping it starts the screen sharing. It doesn't actually create a screen recording, you know, one that ends up in your camera roll. The recorder is simply the technical mechanism used for sharing the screen. The problem with joining the Teams meeting from the iPad is that, unlike the desktop version of Teams, the chat and participants list aren't integrated on the main screen. So you're continually switching between the content that you want to share, which in my case was my entire iPad screen, and the chat window in Teams. So then I joined the Teams meeting from my laptop as well, which meant that I could see the chat and I could monitor the output from the iPad. 
which was just as well because there was a delay of several seconds between me tapping on the iPad and it appearing in Teams on my laptop. And that could have been the end of the story, except no annotations. I like to annotate my screen when I'm training. We talked about it a number of times on MacBytes After Hours. On Windows, I use an app called Zoomit, and on the Mac, we use Demo Pro. But there's no way to do this on the iPad. The Teams app doesn't include a screen annotation feature, and yes, there are apps that let you annotate, but only within that app. And I needed the annotations to work across apps. It is a bit of a, a failing, isn't it, that there isn't an app that lets you just annotate on the iPad. But it's, it's impossible anyway, isn't it, because of the, um, the sandboxing? Yep. I mean, they've put side by side, but that won't help with that. And there's no way to act, actually run an app on top of the app you're already running. No. And when, then they say it's a real computer. No, it's not. Don't get me started. No, don't get me started. No. I even wondered if Teams would allow me to screen share from more than one device at a time, because if it would, I would join the Teams meeting on the iPad and share the iPad screen, and I would join the Teams meeting on the laptop too. My laptop would display the iPad screen inside the Teams meeting, and that's exactly how the attendees would see it. And I then share my laptop screen using Teams screen share which would mean that the attendees would be able to see my annotations. What this would look like to the attendees, I had no idea. Would they see both screens? Would they get a choice of which screen share to watch? It needed testing. And the result of the testing was that it wouldn't work. Because as soon as I started screen share on the laptop, it automatically stopped screen share on the iPad. Teams only allows one device to screen share at a time. So I came up with another idea, using Zoom instead of Teams. When using Zoom on a computer, clicking share screen gives you a number of choices. In addition to sharing your desktop, you can share an iOS device, either wirelessly or via a cable. The cable solution only works on a Mac, so forget that one. The wireless solution works as long as the devices are on the same network, which they were. So in theory, it should have worked but it didn't, and it turned out to be the firewall again. So, on to plan C. Create a Zoom meeting, log into it on the iPad, share the screen. This works exactly the same way as Teams, using the screen recording button. Log into the same Zoom meeting on the laptop. And at this point, what's being displayed within the Zoom window is the iPad. It's being shared from the iPad. As with Teams, the laptop is acting as an attendee in the Zoom meeting. Zoom does allow more than one person to share their screen at a time. It's a setting that the meeting host can enable in the meeting itself. So, share screen, select desktop, and bingo. But what would the attendees see? Would they see both screens, iPad and laptop? It needed testing, and that's where I hit another roadblock. Participants using the Zoom mobile app can only share if no one else is sharing. So as soon as I hit share desktop on the laptop, the screen sharing on the iPad stopped. 
you'll be glad to know that I did find a workable solution. A hybrid solution, or what do you call it, MacGyver. A MacGyvered solution. A MacGyvered solution. Held together with duct tape. Using both Teams and Zoom. I created a Zoom meeting, joined the meeting from my iPad and shared my iPad screen. I also joined the Zoom meeting from my laptop, but I was the only person who joined the Zoom meeting. It was a private meeting set up for screen sharing purposes. I created a Teams meeting and invited the people who needed the training. I shared my laptop screen via Teams, but my laptop screen was displaying the Zoom meeting full screen which meant that the attendees could see my iPad and I could use annotations. So, yes, a bit convoluted, but I got there in the end. <laughs> it sounds like every day in my life. No, this is why. I mean, at least Apple have, have realised at last we need a presenter window option. But as we said, you know, designed by an engineer and built by a monkey looking at it, because it... it to say it's not all there is an understatement. They need to talk to people like you and I who need to use this stuff. Because when, we, when people do what we do, you know how difficult it is. But the end user, need, it needs to be totally transparent to the end user. And they're all building their own little itty bitty solutions that just don't integrate. And I actually said to you, do you know it was easier to share an iPad in 2012 than it seems to be now? Because I've got Air Server like you have and I've got Reflector and there's no way I can use them. They are unusable. It just drops the connection. Even when it's plugged in, it drops the connection. You shouldn't really have to involve because Zoom. Could you get away with a free Zoom account to do that? That depends on length of the training. You've got a 40 minute limit, haven't you? That's, good. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. If you weren't using Zoom for the meeting itself, so you're going to use Teams for that or Skype for that or even reflecting it to YouTube or whatever. Yeah. So you're doing that another way. You're basically having to pay for Zoom to create a meeting with yourself just to get the iPad screen shared. Yeah, for the annotations. I would have thought four months into COVID, someone somewhere would have realised that the half-baked solutions you and I have to work with are ludicrous because now they're working from home and, and things... Jonathan made the point, didn't he, that he'd been doing a meeting with Zoom and the video was a bit blurry. Oh, yeah. yeah. Looks like it was recorded in 1953, doesn't it? it? You look at the recording and you compare it with a local recording and it's nothing short of shocking. Can you get around that? Could you make a local recording, make it good quality? Yes. And Jonathan asked about it and I sat and thought about it and thought, yes, it's possible. <clears throat> how much of your life do you want to spend dedicating to creating that video? It, it's ridiculous. Yes, it's possible. But the way to do it involved, um, it, you'd need a screen recording app and it wouldn't just be a screen recording app that could record a screen. It would need to have some kind of editor with it. So you're looking at ScreenFlow or Camtasia for which you're looking at over £100. So somewhere around the 130 to £150 mark minimum. Then I said, ah, but you'd need to have the audio piped into separate tracks. So you're going to need loopback, audio hijack. By the time we'd finished with that, we decided it would be cheaper to buy the bundle. That was $300. Then that's not including all the apps to annotate the screen and all the jiggery pokery you would need to do to get the slides out in a good enough quality to then add to the video to make it 4K. I know because I've done it. 
It takes time. Do you remember when I said, I'll, I'll do a simple video to demonstrate something in, in after hours? And I thought, what what video would be like worth doing? A, a real video, not not one that you've made up, a real one. And I thought, I know my YouTube channel trailer. Woefully out of date. So I thought, I'll do that. And I thought it can't take that long because, OK, I'd need to update. Particularly the icons were out of date. I'd need to update the icons and things. But this video was one minute, 25 seconds long. How long could it take? How long did it take, Mike? A long time. Four weeks before we'd finished it. Now, admittedly, not working on it every second of every day, but you'd hit a brick wall and think that's not going to work. And then you needed to go back. And all I was trying to do was like get the stuff we're talking about on a video. Ah, another rant from me there. I'm going to hand over to you for your app review, which follows neatly on from Teams and Zooms, doesn't it? Yes, today I'm going to talk about a great app which I'm not going to be using. Yes, another Mike app review with the punchline at the start. Why I'm not going to be using it, I'll explain at the end, so keep listening. The app is called Meter. It's a free app for macOS that lets you join online meetings with a couple of clicks. The interface is about as simple as it gets, an icon in the menu bar. You click the icon, it displays a list of upcoming virtual events which it pulls in from your calendar. And for each meeting, you see the date and time and title and an icon indicating the type of meeting. So Teams or Skype or Zoom or GoToMeeting, etc. Clicking the item from the list launches the appropriate app or service. So Zoom, Teams or whatever. And you join the meeting. It has a speed dial feature that lets you make FaceTime calls and phone calls from the menu bar. And next to the menu bar icon, there is an indicator telling you how long until your next meeting, although you can hide that via the preferences. And talking of the preferences, the app has a whole array of settings. You can choose to launch the app at login. You can choose to display the meeting time in 12 or 24 hour clock format. You can choose how many days worth of meetings to display in the list. You can choose whether to display all the events from your calendars, not just the virtual ones. Although, that's probably overkill if, like me, you have a lot of other stuff in your calendar, like pay the credit card bill, or Manchester United v Liverpool, or it's Green Bin Day. If you do choose to display events that are not virtual, when you click on one of these events, it simply opens the built-in calendar app. You can choose which calendars you want it to display events from. So if I do enable the show all meetings option, but I don't want it to display the football fixtures or which coloured bin is going this week, I simply untick those calendars. This, of course, assumes that you have the football fixtures or the bins on a separate calendar. And if you listen to Matt Bites episode 117, you'll know all about our calendars. There's an option to display a notification to open the meeting link but as I'm on permanent DND, I won't be seeing these. Meter is a free app, as I said. It's available from the Mac App Store and is supported on Catalina and Mojave only. It was actually originally Catalina only, but the developers recently launched a version for Mojave. Although, having said that, there is some functionality that isn't available if you're not on Catalina. Most notably, the ability to switch to a minimalist user interface. 
There is a pro version which you can get for £7.99 via an in-app purchase or by purchasing a set-up subscription. And this gives you additional features such as choosing which browser to open the calls in, assigning a hotkey for quick navigation, choosing when the meeting notification appears, at the start of the meeting, one minute before the meeting time, two minutes before or five minutes before and displaying the title of your next meeting in the menu bar. Sounds great, doesn't it? It's, it's a great app, don't get me wrong. So why won't I be using it? Well, I attend most of my work meetings from my work laptop, which is Windows. And most of my other online meetings I attend from the iMac that we have in the studio, which you're logged into. So the events that are listed would be coming from your calendar, not mine. Some of the events are on our shared calendars, so they would be displayed, but some of the events are on my personal calendar, which isn't shared, so wouldn't be accessible on that iMac. It's a great app, as I say. I'll leave it installed on my Mac, but I don't think I get much use out of it. I, I installed it. I think I had it installed before you, didn't I? I? Again, I had the same problem with the fact that it was Catalina only, and then... When you say there was a different version, it's actually the same version, isn't it? He's just made it work on Mojave. It's really good. I like it. I don't have it running because I don't like too much in my menu bar. But I can see a use for it. Can I have another little rant? Just a mini one. Go on. My iMac has gone mental. <laughs> it is not giving me notifications anymore. Something weird's happened. You know, if you enable DND... At midnight, that turns off. And it's always annoyed me because some of my training sessions go over midnight. And at midnight, I can't stop the notifications turning back on. Yeah. It seems to have got it, its underwear in a knot. And now at midnight, it, it turns DND on, not off. <laughs> I don't know what's happened. But worse than that, even when I turn my notifications on manually, I'm not seeing them. I have no idea what's going on, but I have actually missed like a couple of meetings and then like, oh, I should have been somewhere five minutes ago because I'm not getting notifications. Hmm. So this meter thing, if I did actually have that running and, and it was a virtual meeting, at least I would get notified from there. So I might have to um, back down on my minimalist menu and just add meter. I don't know. We'll see how it goes. But it is a very, very good app. Talking of good apps, see what I did there. I've got this fabulous app. Um, I've had it a good few months. And the reason I'm talking about it is version two has just been released. It's called Dark Noise and it was launched in mid 2019. It's an ambient sounds app and it's absolutely beautiful. The attention to detail is amazing. It's got this really polished feel to it. And that makes all the difference to using it. You know, there may be another app that does exactly the same, but this one is a joy to use. For a start, it has a whole range of alternative icons, if you want to use those, and a really, really wide range of sounds within it. So there's white noise, brown noise, pink noise, grey noise, but there's also noises that you would understand if I give you the titles, like a range of coffee shops, weather appliances, why anyone would particularly want to listen to a Hoover, I'm not sure, but it's there. Um, nature sounds, vehicles, fire, and what it calls urban sounds. 
Uh, one of the nice features for me was instead of just turning this sound on, so like the noise of a coffee shop if you're working alone at home and you just want something, some nice ambience, um, rather than just turn it on and then you turn it off manually, it will play for a fixed amount of time which works really well in conjunction with a pair of sleeping headphones. Sleeping headphones? Yes, sleeping headphones. Not headphones that are asleep, obviously. Uh, they're very tiny headphones, like earbud things. Um, but more importantly, they are comfortable in-ear headphones that actually stay put overnight. They're not, uh, they're Bluetooth, but they are on like a cable which goes behind the back of your neck and then the earbuds go in your ears. Now, I thought, yeah, then, then it's never going to work. But it does. They have stayed put overnight. In fact, they were recommended by Tracy during a Map Bites After Hours. And um, I was tempted to part with more money for, yes, more headphones. I think I've probably got about 50 pairs of headphones. But I thought I'll try it. And I'm glad I did because they are absolutely brilliant. And they're perfect for an app like this because I've said... As well as pressing play and then stop, it will play for a certain amount of time. Uh, I have that set to like seven hours when I go to bed. So these headphones plus the timer, bliss, peace. I love it. Absolutely love it. The one that I listen to is rain. I love rain sounds. Although Jonathan did make a comment about that, which we'll leave alone. Well, version two was released a couple of weeks ago. It's a free update for existing users, which is most welcome, a really nice touch. Um, it adds in more sounds. Um, to give you an idea, rain on a tent. Would you be thrilled by rain on a tent, Mike? No. You're not thrilled with rain, though, are you? No. No, I love rain. Uh, rain on a tent's quite nice. It's like rain, but it's a bit louder because obviously it's bouncing off a tent. Uh, wind chimes. Now, I can honestly say no, never ever. Do you remember that house very close to us that put a wind chime up yeah. one summer? I think it was the windiest summer we've ever had. And if I ever hear a wind chime again, it will be too, it will be way, way too soon. Uh, there's windy trees. I don't even think I've heard that one. Um, seagulls, lake sounds, a ship deck, flags, lullaby. As I've said, I'm not too sure about some of those. You know what I'm like with the dawn chorus? Birdsong before noon should be banned. So seagulls? Definitely not. But one of the biggest additions is sound mixing. In version one, you were limited to a single sound playing at any one time. But in version two, you can mix the sounds to create custom configurations. That I do like. You can mix more than two existing sounds into a single one and you can customise the levels for each sound involved, which alone would be fantastic. But when you add to that, that each of your custom sounds can have a custom icon, which can include animated GIFs, it just takes it to another level of beauty. You can also import an image from the camera roll if you want an image or a photograph to represent the sound. Just just. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Now, the best thing is once you've configured all of these custom sounds, you can sync them to other devices because version two has added an iCloud sync option. And for once with iCloud, it does seem to work very well. They've also added iPad cursor support. Now, I don't use that personally, but I'm sure if you do, you'll appreciate it. Um, it's called enhanced support as it snaps to interface elements. 
I've never found that works that well. Have you? You've probably never used it, have you? No, never used it. I had an app a while back. I installed it on the Mac and basically wherever your mouse was, when a dialog box was displayed and there was a default button on it, your mouse pointer automatically moved to where the default button was, which caused a couple of problems <laughs> when you automatically clicked it. But if you like that kind of thing, then you're going to love that. They've also added even more icons to choose from including some macOS Biggles inspired icons that I'm actually I'm looking at them. And I'm thinking they're not bad, but they're slightly skeuomorphic. I'm wondering if we're going backwards. Do you remember the calendar app and, and the leather top? Who could forget it? I do hope we're not going back there. <laughs> it's amazing how quickly you can just think the calendar apps always look like the way it looks now. No, it didn't. It didn't. Um, it is a brilliant app. Um, if you've got any need at all for that kind of ambient sounds, any kinds of sounds or sounds that you you can mix and match. I've made one that's absolutely perfect that reminds me of Christmas. I, I've used the sound of rain and um, an open fire. Oh, it's fabulous. Close, close your eyes. Obviously, it's the height of summer here, so the fan's blaring. But I'm 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 seeing Christmas in my mind. Uh, the app itself is $5.99 in the iOS app store. There's no in-app purchases, no subscriptions. You just pay for it and, and use it, which is how I like apps. It's the old way of doing it that worked. Yeah, it was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant application. Not for Mike, though, is it? Not for me, no. What is it that you listen to then when you, when you, do, when you, you want to kind of block the world out? Um, I don't listen to anything. I go to sleep. Head, head hits the pillow, go to sleep. I'm not talking about a night, I'm talking about in the day. Um, good question. Some some audio books, bit of football, bit of music. I listen to I listen to audio books, but sometimes you have to concentrate on an audio book. So I'm very careful when I listen to audio books. Not when I'm writing something. Um if I'm just like doing a weekly wrap up or creating like templates for something I'm going to use the next week, then I'll listen to an audiobook. Other than that, I'd probably put a YouTube video on. Again, the topic of that would depend. If if it's a learning thing, then I'm going to need to concentrate. Then not when I'm doing something else. But this is great to just when when you need to concentrate, I find it wonderful. Anyway, Mike doesn't use it, I do use it. You guys let me know, do you use it? Or are you tempted to use it? Let me know. But we move on. MacBytes After Hours. Oh, yes. Another live show on Friday when it's part three of the Death and Think series. Uh, this time we're looking at using the data we've so carefully captured and organised in the first two parts of the series. You can catch up on parts one and part two on demand. The links are in the show notes. But we are going live at 9pm UK time on Friday with episode 87. Do you know, be two years in the autumn. Mm, I know. Rather impressive, isn't it? Yeah. And as if weekly episodes of MacBytes After Hours it wasn't enough, we're going live every day during lockdown. It started as a five-part series. But we're now into week 20 and well over 130 shows in. Um, it's an audio show. You can listen at MacBytes.fm. We have an absolute blast chatting with you all. So do join us for some daily laughter in the midst of these really strange times. 
But that's it for this episode of MacBytes. As always, we would love to hear from you. So send your questions, comments and queries by email to thecrew at macbytes.co.uk. Or there is the contact form on the website. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash MacBytes. You can follow me personally on Twitter at twitter.com slash Elaine Giles. You can follow me at twitter.com slash Thomas Mike. And you can follow me at twitter.com slash MacBytesiri. So until next time, this has been Elaine and Mike bringing you MacBytes. Goodbye. Goodbye and see you next time. You're looking rather smug. Am I? Smug is your default look, but today you look more smug than usual. I'm on fire. That's not usually a good thing. I mean figuratively. What have you done then? I have outsourced that little job from last week. The hand-washing thing you mean? Indeed I do. How did you manage that when we're in lockdown at MacBytes headquarters? You didn't breach our bubble, did you? Of course I didn't. It's bad enough living with these two without bringing in strangers. So how did you outsource it then? I know people who know people. I know you've been up to mischief, Spill, right now. All right. Calm down, woman. Brace yourself now. Alexa, sing for 20 seconds. Okay, here we go. Wash your hands, everybody. Everybody, wash your hands. So here's a song. Sing along. Tell germs nope. Grab the soap. Make soap bubbles on the double. Halfway there, give a mean stare to all the germs. Make them squirm, say goodbye, don't be shy. Rub a dub, give a good scrub, suds a plenty, now you're at 20. Sometimes there are just no words. For my genius you mean? No, just no words.